there was um, an old game show. And when I say old, I'm saying it's much older than me. Uh, This game show was born around 1963. But I remember as a kid when we would be out of school for the summer uh, you could watch the game show because it came on in the morning. So when you were in school, you, you couldn't see it. But when you were out of school, we could see it in, in the mornings. And I recently discovered it's still on. It's, it's still going even today. I'm admitting to you that I have not seen the latest version of it. But from what I understand, the concept is still the same. It's a game show called Let's Make a Deal. Anybody ever seen it? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So the way it works is the contestants on the show are given a gift, but then there's a decision that they must make. The decision is, am I simply going to keep this gift that I've been given, or I can trade it? I can trade it for what's behind the curtain. So the issue is, I don't know what's behind the curtain. And I've got to decide, do I want to make the trade? Because the trade could be better or the trade could be worse. Okay? You could make the trade and behind the curtain, there would be a new car. Woo! And everybody's happy because it's a brand new car. And so whatever you had, this little thing, you traded it and you got a new car. Or what's behind the curtain could be a new car. All right, this is actually a car that has been compacted into just a block. It's, it's, the, kind of, it's the kind of gift that you, you might end up with if you make the trade and it's a bad trade. Here's what I'm asking you today. What if you had an inside track? Like what if you had an inside track where you knew someone who knew what was behind the curtain. And what if the someone who knew what was behind the curtain said to you, what's behind the curtain is a thousand times better than what you currently have. If you knew that, wouldn't it be the case that you would absolutely gladly leverage whatever you have for the greater prize? Listen to this story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16. It goes like this. There was a rich man who had a manager who worked for him. But the manager, come to find out, was wasting the rich man's money. Well, the owner confronts the manager and he says, hey, here's what I've found out about you. You have to be held accountable. You are going to lose your job. And so the story is that the manager who says, look, I'm losing my job. I I am not strong enough to do manual labor. Uh, I'm I'm too proud to beg for what I'm going to need. I've got to do something so that when I lose my job, I've got somewhere to go. And so what he did is he began to call in people who owed something to the owner. One man 
He owed 900 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of olive oil. It was a lot of money in that day. And the manager said, tell you what, let's just make it 450. Yeah, good idea. I don't owe 900 anymore. I just owe 450. To another who owed 1,000 bushels of wheat, the manager said, tell you what, let's just knock off a couple of hundred. We'll, we'll just call it 800 now. That's the story Jesus told. And then he said these words, verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted, check out this word, shrewdly. Hmm. For the people of this world, Jesus says, are more, here's our word again, shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Okay, time out. Does it sound like Jesus is commending what feels like some dishonest actions? I mean, it sounds, the manager who's, who's like, right, stepping in and taking advantage of the owner, right? Does it sound like Jesus is, is, is teaching that sometimes the ends could justify whatever the means may be, even if they're dishonest? And the answer is absolutely No, that's not what he's teaching. For one, that is not consistent with anything else that Jesus has ever taught us about life and character, right? The kingdom of God is not about advancing yourself at the expense of hurting other people. It's not. But the second factor here is this is what's called a parable. It's a story that Jesus is telling. And this is one of the things that we talked about and learned at at Secret Church together a couple of weeks ago. This is not an allegory. This is not a story where each part of the little story has a different, different significance. Parables typically have one big point. So the question is, what's the one big point that Jesus is teaching in this story? This is the parable point. The manager saw what was coming. What was coming? He was going to get what? Fired. He saw what was coming and he used what had been entrusted to him while he could to prepare for the future. This parable is not about giving you permission to do whatever you want that's best for you at the expense of everybody else. It's not the point of the story. The point of the story is about acting now to prepare for something that is to come. And suddenly, that helps us define what Jesus means by shrewd. It's not really a word we use that often. So when Jesus uses the word shrewd here, here's what he's talking about. First, seize an opportunity while there's still time to act. That's what the man did. He's commended for, he, he acts when he can. Second, use present resources to provide for inevitable future realities. That 
is what this story is about. And Jesus said, when it comes to the people of this world, they seem to be more shrewd than the people who are a part of the kingdom of God. Sometimes the people of this world seem to be more intentional for their temporary and their selfish purposes than the kingdom of God people are for greater purposes. And then, just in case we are still a little cloudy on what is Jesus really saying here, he gives us an incredibly practical example. And the verse I'm about to read to you, I absolutely love. It is one of those verses that sometimes I will quote for people and they think I'm making it up. Because here's what Jesus says next. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. No lie. If you just quote that to people and you're like, Jesus said, use your money to make friends, they'll be like, no, he didn't. Jesus did not say use your money to make friendships. Read it. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, what's it? That's wealth. You will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And all of a sudden, we've got the clue. It's much clearer now. When Jesus is speaking of preparing for the future, he's not talking about simply getting ready for your next place of employment. He used the story to, to give you the imagery, but this is, this is bigger than even preparing for tomorrow. He's talking about preparing for eternity. Well, what's eternal? Souls. Souls. And so what he tells in this little story is he says, I want you to use what's not eternal. That's money. Use what's not forever, money, in order to build what is eternal. That's relationships. That's souls. Jesus is not calling us to manipulate people for our own selfish reasons. He is not saying, use your money to get people to do what you want them to do, right? This is not use your money to, to, to buy simply friends for yourselves. He's saying, use your money in order to reach out to people for eternal purposes. Let me ask you a question. Is that typically how you think about money? Because we all think about money. It's a part of our lives. Is that typically how you think about money? That you see it as a resource to be leveraged for the purpose of building more relationships so that they can be introduced to Jesus and spend forever in heaven with you. I don't know if that's how I always think about money. Jesus said you should. You should. Is that how you think about people? When you see people, and I mean even the ones that irritate you, right? Even the ones that, that you're wondering what their, what's their motive. But when you see people, do you see souls who are going to spend forever in one of two places? 
So will you use whatever resources you have to make connections for the purpose of introducing that person to Jesus? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I want you to focus on the eternal prize. Use your resources to provide true riches for eternity. Whatever you have, however much money you got, really the word that's used here that often gets translated money, it means also anything money can buy. So money and anything that money can buy, are those things useful to live? Yes. Do you need some money to live? Yes. But the cool thing is, is that Life with Jesus means that those same things, the money that you have, the things that money can buy, they also get to be connected to something so much bigger, so much more significant, greater riches that last forever. So in the whole scope of this, Jesus is saying, what's behind the curtain? It's always better. What he's offering behind the curtain, it is a thousand times better than what you currently hold. Now the frightening view from the back door of this teaching is that if you do not see souls as more important than money, then your eyes have not yet been opened to the truth of what is most valuable. Jesus knows that, and so he continues. Verse 10, check it out. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Let's keep going. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So, a couple of foundational, I'm going to call it, this is the foundational perspective that changes how I understand everything that I possess. Two simple statements. Here's the first one. God owns it and I manage it. God owns it, you manage it. Truth is, I own nothing. I don't. You really own nothing. It's all his. You can think it's yours, but the day will come where it'll be proven that you really had no control over it. I don't own it. He owns it. But he allows me to manage what he has entrusted to me. Here's what comes second. Someday, I'm going to give an account for my management. That's the fact. And it's like, whether I I buy into that or not, this is the truth. Jesus says, here's what's coming. This is what's on the horizon. And so the question is, will I prepare now for what the reality is going to be? Okay, but I got some questions. I got some questions. Here's the first one. Doesn't the Bible also talk about, though, saving money? 
And the answer is yes, it does. In fact, peppered throughout the scripture, you will see instruction about the wisdom of saving money. For example, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 21, the wise store up. That's what he says. The wise will store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. I mean, is that pretty clear? The wise store up. So he's saying the foolish, they just absolutely, you know, use everything that, 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 they, that they have when they could be smart and they could set aside and they could save for those days when there are going to be things that are needed. It's there. Second question. Doesn't the Bible talk about that we can actually enjoy the stuff that we have? And the answer is yes. Yes, it does. One of those places is 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It reads like this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Now, come on, that's a principle. He's like, don't you trust in your money because it's temporary. Don't trust in your wealth. It's not going to be forever. But to put their hope in, check this out, God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's pretty clear. He's saying that don't don't stake your hope in this. Don't, Don't put everything, don't build your life on this. But he's like, look, God has provided things that he wants you to enjoy them. But watch where he goes next in this same chapter. Verse 18, look at what he says. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure. That sounds just like what Luke is saying. He says, in this way, you're going to lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I just wanted you to see there is a consistency of this message throughout Scripture. It's not just Luke that gives it to us. The Apostle Paul gives it to us. There are numerous. Jesus Jesus gives us this understanding. There is wealth, but there's also treasure. And what he's calling us to is to use the lesser, which is wealth, in order to gain the greater. Okay, so I got one more question. Jesus, how much? (laughs) Could you tell me how much? Like, like I want to know how much should I save if I'm supposed to save? And I I, want to know... how much is it okay for me to enjoy if, if, if I can enjoy what you've given me? And I, I mean, I want to know how much should I leverage for what's behind the curtain that, that you say is a thousand times better than what I have. I, I want to know how much. Don't you think that's a good question? And Jesus addresses it. Verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God 
and money. Okay. Jesus, my question was, how much? And I love what Jesus does here. He does what he always does. He does not answer my question of how much. He goes straight to my heart. You get that? He goes straight to my heart. And he doesn't tell me how much. What he says is either God owns you or money owns you. Now again, the word for money here, it really is a bigger word than, than just say cash. If you it's anything that's money and anything that money can buy. He said that can own you. And if that owns your heart, then God does not own your heart. That is what God cares about. Because God doesn't need any of our money. He owns it all, remember? One of the things that you've heard us say before, God is not trying to get money out of your pocket. He is about getting idols out of our hearts. That's what he's about. He's not trying to take money from my pocket. He needs none of it. But what he's about is my heart. And so he wants the idols gone. Well, how do you know if God owns your heart or money owns your heart? A few things that God has just led me to wrestle with this week. These are a few questions. Which one do I use more? Do I try to use God to serve my money or do I actually use money to serve God? It's a question worth thinking through. Are you currently using your resources to risk for what's behind the curtain? My question is, are you currently using whatever money stuff that you have to actually be a part of risking for what God says is eternal? Will you leverage what you have in order to see those things that are eternal? Where do you spend more energy? Gaining and protecting money or gaining and investing in souls? Do you regularly ask God, God, what do you want to do with my wealth? God, what do, you, what do you want me to do with what you've given to me? And when you see and meet people, do you think about their eternity? And then in turn, you begin to ask the question, God, how can I use what you've given me to connect to them that they might know who you are? Another way to say it is the key is to worship with your wealth. Don't worship your wealth. To worship with my wealth is to say, whatever I have, God, I want it to be for your greatness. God, I want to use whatever money I've got, whatever resources I've got, whatever things that you've given me. I want to use those to point people to how great you are. I don't want my wealth to be the thing that appears to be what's great. And I'm saying the key is for this so to be a part of your thinking that it doesn't just happen when we make a commercial that kids need to go to camp, so will you buy some food? Because in using your resources to buy the food, you will help kids go to camp. Should we do that? Yeah. 
I hope you will. I hope you'll buy lots of meals. I hope you'll buy meals for other people, right? Do it in order to help. But my point is God wants us to be at the place that that's the way we are thinking on any given day and week, not because the commercial ran that we need to help our kids, but just every day, this is what I'm asking God. God, how can I use my resources today? And God, who are the people that you're putting in my path today? And how do those things connect? You start to see life as a constant opportunity to invest in the eternal. I know. Nothing makes people more uncomfortable than to start talking about money. I know. I think that's exactly why Jesus talked about it so much. Because he knew the greatest threat to our fully trusting in him would be our stuff. And so sometimes it's um, that people are just reckless with their money. And you, you know people, I'm, you know, not you, but people, you know people. You know people who are reckless with their money. You're like, they just waste their money. They just waste their money. They just don't think through what they're doing. And it is true that when people are reckless with their money, it's, it's the sign that we don't realize the value of money that can be used for eternal purposes. It's like the prodigal son, right? Peter talked to you about this, this, the, the story last week. He just, he wastes what he has. He goes off and he just wastes it because he doesn't see the value in it. He just uses it for himself. And then sometimes though, it's not wasteful. It's a security issue. And, and my heart is constantly absorbed with what if I lose what I've got and I feel like I don't have enough. And so it's always this clamoring for more. I'm saying whether it gets lived out in gluttony that I just wasted on myself or whether it gets lived out in greed that I never have enough. All of those are signs of idols. They're signs of idols. And that's why God speaks so much to us about this threat to our heart. Jesus knows how we can be deceived. And so he speaks um, just a few more things here. Check out verse 14. Watch what he says. The Pharisees who loved money, the Pharisees who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. God knows your hearts. Um, on the show, let's make a deal. The people dress up in costumes. I don't. I, I remember that when I was a kid, and uh, they go on the show and they dress up in these goofy-looking costumes because it helps them sometimes get noticed to be a contestant, right? And so I think we got one picture. So this is uh, this is rain or shine, I believe, is how this one works, and. You see some frogs, I believe it is over there. It's just people in goofy costumes and they're trying to get recognized. The Bible tells us that um, the Pharisees had a way of putting on costumes for people. I don't mean like a frog. I mean like they could pray really good. They would pray really loud and really impressive. 
they would give, but they would make sure that people knew that they, they gave. They would, they would tithe even the, the tiniest of, of whatever they had. They made sure that they didn't miss any of, of, of checking those boxes. And that they, they, they were just very impressive before Jesus. One time Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs on the outside. They looked very pretty on the outside, but he said on the inside, they were dead. Their hearts were not connected to him. Please, please be careful about playing games with God. Okay? That's what this is about. Please be careful that in thinking that if you can, right, put on a a good show for people, because the deceptiveness of my heart is sometimes if I can put on a good show for people, then sometimes I believe my own show. And if, and if you think I'm okay, then my tendency is to believe then God must be too. And that's what this is about. He's going, don't do that. Don't do that. Remember, God sees through your costume. He sees through whatever shell that we put on for people. He, he sees, be careful that in thinking that it is somehow if you can appear to, to impress people and maybe it's sometimes because, well, I, I, you know, I'm a little better than they are and I, I seem to be more generous than they are and I help more than they do. And, and sometimes we convince ourselves that if we, if we can look okay in people's eyes, then maybe we do with God too. And the whole point of this is just going to realize God knows your heart. And he knows when you're putting on a show, but he also knows when it's genuine. This is where we need each other. It is. Because I don't know any of us who are strong enough that when it comes to our stuff, that we always have a right perspective all the time. Sometimes we start to lean toward we trust a little too much in, 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 in the stuff that's temporary and we need people around us who are trustworthy, that love us, who can help us together have a right perspective on, okay, save, you should save and you should enjoy, but come on, don't miss the big picture and don't forget what is most valuable. Don't forget what is more valuable than that which you hold in your hand. So today, I don't have a question for you, but I have a challenge for you. And um, even at some of our campuses, I'm encouraging you even today before you, before you head out that you guys would just kind of brainstorm this together. Um, if your family, you know, is here together or you're here with friends or whatever, that sometime today maybe a conversation could be made where you actually brainstorm this thought. How can you better use your money, use your resources to make more connections with people for the purpose of sharing Jesus. Now, why would we do that? Because Jesus said, use your money to make friends. He's like, use your money to connect with people so that you can can actually connect with them for eternal purposes. I'm saying it would do us well to just brainstorm a little bit and go on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, what might be some ways that I can use money, that I can use whatever money can buy, that connections could be made with more people for an eternal purpose.
But don't miss this. My strongest argument to you today would not be that you would get this right out of fear. Now, don't get me wrong. God owns it, you manage it, and one day you're going to be held accountable for the management. That's true. But my strongest argument for you today would not be that you get this right out of fear. My greatest argument would be to you today to get this right because you can see how blessed and how alive and how eternal it is to actually do this with life in Jesus. So what if, what if you had an inside track? What if someone who knew what was behind the curtain told you that what's behind the curtain is a thousand times better than whatever you have? Wouldn't you gladly leverage whatever you have for that greater prize? Thinking this week about what we use money for. Um, this is just a stack of ones because I'm a preacher and we're not allowed to carry anything bigger. That's all we can carry. We just carry stacks of ones. <laughs> sort of think I'm kidding. So I'm thinking about what can we use money for? What do we use money for? Most, most people and I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of people, a significant portion of what we use our money for is we have to have a place to live, right? So most people, it's something to do with a house. You either rent a place or you own a place. And so hey, wouldn't you agree? I mean, a significant portion of whatever money you make goes toward a house. Is it okay that we have a house? Yeah. I mean... A place where you find some shelter, a, a place where you, you, you want to feel secure. Yeah. Have you... Have you seen what it looks like on the other side? Do you know how big the place is on the other side? Have you heard how many rooms are in the house that Jesus has gone to? to prepare for us that one day he will return to take us to be where he is forever and ever and ever. Have you seen the streets? They're gold. Have you seen the walls and the foundations? Every beautiful gem that you can almost imagine the colors, just almost too much for your mind to begin to take in. 
And, and th- there's, there's no, nobody breaking in. N- nobody stealing your stuff, right? N- nobody there to, to, to break in and to harm. I'm saying, I, I know that it's so cool that we can enjoy a house now, but do you know what the house is like on the other side? I promise you it is a thousand times better no matter how magnificent your house is on this side. My point is why wouldn't I leverage? Why wouldn't I leverage whatever there is on this side to say, God, however you can use, however you can use what you've blessed me with, I want to use it to see more people connected Money. I thought, you know, people also use it for like what I'm going to call memberships. You know what I mean? Um, people want to be uh, a member of, of this club or they want to be a, a, a member of this team or um, I don't know. They want to be a member of this camp or whatever you want to call it. Everybody, everybody wants to belong. that looks like on the other side. Nobody's gossiping in there. Nobody's envious or jealous in there. Nobody's manipulating anybody else in there. Nobody's trying to take advantage of someone else. Nobody's clamoring that they're more valuable than somebody else. Nobody's trying to get to the front of the line ahead of anybody else. It's like this giant family. I mean like a real family where they love just like Jesus. I'm saying, come on, whatever our money we think might buy us in terms of memberships and belonging in this life, why would I not leverage everything that I can to bring more and more people with me? We spend a lot of money on our bodies. Have you noticed that? On our, We do. These physical bodies, people are always trying to, right, lift something or tuck this thing or tack that thing or, I mean, have you, I mean, everybody's like trying to put stuff back together, prop it up, right, tie it up, whatever we got to do. Medical cost, think about what people spend, medications, seriously. There's no clinics in here. There's no hospitals in here. 
There's no nursing homes. And there's not even funeral homes. There's no pain, no sorrow, no tears. And there's not even death. So come on, do I have to spend a little bit on this side? Yeah, I I mean, sometimes, right, you got to take care of the body that God's given you. And sometimes you got to pay for medicines and things. But what it drives me toward is every, every day that God gives me again to breathe. Every day that he gives me again that this body works well enough to interact and function. God, will you use whatever I have to see more people come to know who you are? Just one more. (laughs) We spend money on adventure. We do. I'm using the word adventure. It's, we're always looking for joy. We're always looking for the next thrill. We're always looking for something else that we can experience, right? And um, a lot of stuff with adventure is attached to motors, it seems like. And so, I mean, whether it's a car or a truck or a motorcycle or a boat or a camper or a, right, whatever you can dream so that, so that we can go and we can explore and we can adventure. And uh, I'm honest with you, this, this week, my, my wife and I got to just get away um, a few days last week and just experience being away and a little bit of that was just adventure and I was reminded this last week when God paints stuff blue man he's got lots of blues to choose from and some of the creatures that God has created the colors the shapes, the way they move. But what's on the other side? Where my mind goes, if the ocean is this blue on this side, can you imagine Can you imagine what it's going to look like on that side? And the creatures that we get to see here, can you imagine what it's going to be like on the other? And I even imagine if technology is what it is here, can you imagine all that might be involved in a brand new heaven and a brand new earth where you and I, when I read it, it's like we're going to be able to move back and forth this incredible, incredible place that God has prepared for us forever and ever and ever. And I think we only dabble in what adventure is right now, that what it's going to be like on that side, an adventure of eternity I need my heart to think more often about what's behind the curtain because I want it to drive my heart to take all of you with me
And my point is, what if God could do that in each of our hearts that he reminds us that what's behind the curtain, it is a great trade. It is a great trade. It is worth everything that you have now leveraged in order to reach as many people as we possibly can. That on that day, it's coming. It's coming. The question is, will you use what you have been given to prepare for that day? That's a cool deal. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, we're told that one of the significant events that God saw fit to just make visible is that the curtain that hung in the temple between the Holy of Holies, which is where only the the high priest could go in once a year where the sacrifices were made, it separated him from all the other people who had sinned. It says it split from the top to the bottom. The curtain was opened. A picture of the of the connection, a picture of the access that God is saying, my son has paid the price that your sin could be forgiven, that a way could be made, that now we have access to God. There is a part of it now, you got to understand where the curtain's already open. The curtain is already open. And so in a sense, I already have my forever home. It, it It is sealed, it is done. I'm already a part of a forever family, right? I'm I'm so looking forward to a forever body, right? And and a a forever adventure has already started for me. Right now, the way that daily I watch God move in the most incredible ways to see him open the eyes and hearts of people who need to know him, the adventure has already started. But a day is coming. A day is coming that he's going to bring that to a completion. And what you see now, what you see now, oh, it will be a thousand times greater. God, I'm asking you to give us eyes that can see. God, this is one of those topics that sometimes makes us want to run. God, it makes us want to declare things like uh, we should just have our faith and then there should be then our money and really that it's nobody's business what we do with what we have. And God, I, I know that's our tendency. I know that's our heart, but God, that's not what you say. And so despite how much, despite how much we want to push back, God, despite um, how many um, things of this world can take our heart in a different direction, I'm asking that today, God, you would take, God, what we've heard and that you would give us a heart that can truly hear. God, a heart that's willing to follow. Lord, we won't see without you. I have no power. I have no power to change hearts. God, you have it. I'm asking today that you would do something powerful in our heart that we might trust you. And it's in the name of Jesus that I ask him. Amen.